Well, this month, uh, we've started a new annual theme for our preaching ministry that is finding life in Jesus' name. And normally, uh, under this annual theme, we'd have a selection of sermon series from the Old Testament, New Testament, various parts of the Bible throughout the year. But this year, we're doing something a little different. We are, for the, almost the whole next year, going slowly, chapter by chapter and verse by verse through the Gospel according to John. And we started this series and we started this theme by meeting two different men named John. First, we met John the Apostle, who was the author of this gospel account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And we said that John was an ambitious and hot-tempered young man, like some of us once were, perhaps, with the nickname Son of Thunder, given to him by no other than Jesus himself. But John found this new life that we're talking about, this life with Jesus, and was changed so much that by the end of his long life, he was known as the apostle of love. Quite a radical change. Now second, we, last week we met another John, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a wild man, as some of us still are. But John was living out in the desert wilderness, dressed funny, ate desert foods, which is weird. Uh, but John was sent by God, we saw last week, to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And John did that very effectively. Well, today we'll move from the ministry of John the Baptist preparing us for the coming of Jesus to the start of the ministry of Jesus. And the author introduces the ministry of Jesus in his gospel by showing how Jesus would call people to follow him. Now last year we spent the whole year focusing on learning to follow this unique way of Jesus. This is nothing new for us. If you miss any of those uh, sermons from this whole past year, you can always go back and watch online or you can listen to the audio podcast if you'd like. But today we'll see the start of the journey for several of the first followers of Jesus. And what we learn from this passage we will not only help us see how we might follow Jesus, but also how we might help our friends or loved ones to follow him as well. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to John chapter 1, starting with verse 35. John 1, 35, and we're just going to jump right into this passage. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Okay, so let's pause here. And now John, the author, the apostle, says that the day after John the Baptist, the John mentioned in this passage, testified that it was Jesus who was the Messiah. It was Jesus the one that was God's chosen one. It was Jesus the one that he was sent to prepare the way for. The day after that testimony, John the Baptist was there again, meaning in the wilderness in, to the east of the Jordan River with two of his disciples. 
Now at this time in, in Judea, in this part of the world, the model of a rabbi and their disciples was a common thing to see. But it wasn't common everywhere in the Roman Empire, just like it's not very common for us today, right? Well, this is why the author, John, tells us that rabbi means teacher. As we saw in our series, our last series, the Apostle Paul received an education under one of the most well-respected, well-known rabbis of his time, a member of the Jewish ruling council named Gamaliel. And so this was common for them. The Greek word for disciple means follower or learner. So a disciple would follow the way of their rabbi or teacher and learn from them. Uh, perhaps a, modern, a good modern equivalent might be the relationship between a master tradesman and their apprentice. The apprentice's job, as far as I can tell, is to do whatever the master doesn't want to do, <laughs> haul stuff around, do the dirty work, right? Well, the apprentice's ultimate job is to assist the master in order to learn a set of skills from them. And a good master should have both the wisdom of experience and some ability, to some degree, the ability to teach or pass on what they know and generally make fun of the apprentice. I think that's how it generally works from my observation. It's a humbling experience. Well, back in the first century AD, uh, John the Baptist had disciples who were hoping to learn from him, not a trade necessarily, but a spiritual way of life. And perhaps to meet the Messiah that John said was coming. And so when two of his disciples heard his testimony about Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God. They started following Jesus. Now in this context, the author means this both literally and metaphorically. They literally started following Jesus around as he was walking around. So Jesus could turn and see them following him. But from the later perspective of when John was writing his gospel much later in his life, he could tell that this was the point in time when, when these men started following Jesus, not just physically, but as their rabbi, as their teacher, as their master, as their Lord. Their physical following actually foreshadowed their future better than they could have known at this time. But then there's this funny little interaction, funny to me, little interaction between the disciples of John and Jesus. Jesus turns around and sees these, you know, probably younger men following him and says, what do you want? Maybe you didn't say it like that. What do you want? Now, this is the first example in John's gospel of the questions of Jesus. And Jesus never asks questions to gain information. It'll be clear in a moment from this passage that Jesus, in his divine nature, fully God, has divine knowledge. Jesus knows things that only God could know. But instead, Jesus, so instead, Jesus asks questions not to gain information, but to reveal what's going on in the heart of someone interacting with him. As a brilliant and masterful teacher, Jesus draws out what's on the inside in order to address what really matters. And the question is, what do you want? And if you think about it, this is a profound question. It's a discipleship question. 
Because if Jesus is the Messiah, as John claims, if he is God's chosen one, as John testified, then what do these men think he will do for them? What do they want out of a relationship with Jesus? Have you ever thought about that question with your relationship with God? What do you want? Do you want God to fix a problem in your life? Do you want to know what is true about the nature of reality? Do you want God's blessing on some part of your life or on your whole life? Do you want salvation? Do you want redemption? Do you want justice? Do you want glory? Do you want status? What do you want in your relationship with God? Do you see how powerful this question is? It gets at the heart of their desires in following him. Well, all right, Jesus. He doesn't ease in to this discipleship. How would his first followers respond? Well, it doesn't seem like they really know what to say. <laughs> um, I don't really know what I want, Jesus, but um, where are you staying? <laughs> okay, I think they might as well have asked him about the weather. How do you like the weather these days, Jesus? I, do you get a feel, a sense, a little bit of awkwardness here? Now, maybe they were just nervous. It's the first time meeting, potentially, uh, the most powerful and influential person on earth. And of course, now, from our perspective, we know Jesus was, in fact, that man. Or maybe they were a little self-conscious. Maybe they just weren't used to the depth of Jesus' questions. I never really thought about it. But Jesus responds to them, and maybe a little of their awkwardness, very graciously and with an invitation. And here I want, you to, I want you to see God's heart in how Jesus responds to these young men. Come, Jesus replied, and you will see. Come and you will see. He basically says, you wanna see where I'm staying? No problem. Come with me. Come and be with me. Now this abiding with Jesus, this remaining with Jesus becomes one of the key themes of John's whole gospel. And we see it from the start. Jesus wants them to just be with him. Nothing more is said. They went with him, saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. Now, we don't get any more. We don't know. There's no big sermons that we're, we're told about. There are no great miracles to report. They just spend their life the rest of their day together. They spend time together. They get to know one another. They start to trust one another. They're hanging out. And friends, this is God's heart for you. Wherever you have come from this morning, this is God's desire for a relationship with you. He will change you. He will transform you. He will make you holy. He will do all sorts of things in, in your life if you let him. But ultimately, his desire is just to be with you. In the book of Genesis, we start by reading that, that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day to be with his people. 
Sin forever separated people from God until the coming of Jesus when he made a way for us to finally be with him. God isn't annoyed with you, even in your awkwardness. He's not embarrassed by you, even if you don't know how to answer his questions. He loves you, even when you aren't sure how to speak or act around him. This is God's heart for you. But the final detail of this story is that it was, this happened about four in the afternoon. Now, there are little details scattered throughout the Gospels that should make you go, I wonder why that's in here. Now, a detail like this seems to be shared by someone who was there. You know, oh yeah, this happened about four in the afternoon, as I recall. So most likely, John, the author, was the other disciple, besides Andrew, who uh, was a disciple of John the Baptist, who followed Jesus that day. So let's continue with verse 40 and say, what happened next? Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Okay, let's pause here. Yet another John enters the story, okay? This is the third John, if you're counting along at home. Uh, Simon and Andrew's dad, also called Jonah in the text. So, uh, okay, well here, we meet the other disciple who spent the afternoon with Jesus, a man named Andrew. And I love this, because what, what John, the apostle, the author, recalls is the first thing that his friend Andrew did was to go get his brother, Simon. He met Jesus, he hung out with him for the afternoon, and the first thing he did after that was go get his brother to bring him to Jesus. Now this is significant for two reasons. First, it shows what Andrew actually thought about Jesus even after spending just one day with him. You get Andrew's testimony. Andrew was convinced. He was a believer. He said in effect, Simon, come and see. We found the Messiah. Now again, John provides this Greek translation because he wasn't writing primarily to Jewish people who would understand what the Messiah was from the Hebrew scriptures, but he translates this to the Greek version of Messiah, which is Christ, which means the anointed one or the chosen one. How many movies do we have today about someone who's the chosen one? Okay, where do you think they get that story from? The Bible, okay? Uh, Andrew goes to get his brother and says, we found him. Now, the second reason this is significant is because Simon Peter would go on to become the leader of the apostles of Jesus and one of the pillars of the early Christian church. But Jesus looks at Simon and, and he really saw him. He, we were called to behold Jesus. Jesus is beholding this man, Simon. And he said, looks at him and he gives him a new name. He says, you are Simon, son of John you will be called Cephas, which is the Aramaic word for rock. When translated, as John gives us the Greek translation, is Peter, which means rock. 
Now, Aramaic is the language that Jesus spoke, but Greek, again, is the language of John's audience. So, so here, before there's even a word between them, before Peter has a chance to be known by Jesus, like how normal people get to know someone, Jesus gives Simon this new name, which seems to represent a new identity. He would be the rock. Now, I wonder what Peter would have been thinking. I wonder if Peter at this moment would have felt very rock-like. Was, was he curious about this Jesus? Was he kind of nervous? Was he just wondering, like, what could all this mean? I would guess he'd have lots of questions. Who is this man? What will he do? What does he mean that I'll be the rock? Is it time for us to fight the Romans and win our freedom as Jewish people? What will come of my fishing business back home? What will my wife think? <laughs> Many husbands have had that thought over the course of time. It doesn't say in the text, but I'm sure at certain points Peter had that thought. What is my wife going to say about this? Well, of course, we'll have much more time with Peter as we go throughout the gospel according to John. But for now, this was the start of his relationship with Jesus. Well, let's continue with verse 43. What happened next? This is an unfolding story. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you. I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And this is God's word. Well, we've, had, we've added a few more disciples to the group, haven't we? Uh, Jesus was heading back from the southern region of Judea to the north, to Galilee, where he grew up in the small town of Nazareth. Uh, in a few days, he will attend a wedding in Cana, uh, but first, he wanted to find Philip and call him to follow. Is Jesus intentional about his relationships? The answer is yes. Before he left, Jesus made sure to find Philip. He didn't want to leave without him. Now Philip, John says, was from Bethsaida, a, a small town in Galilee, just like Andrew and Peter. After Jesus called Philip, Philip went and found his friend Nathanael. And just as Andrew did with Peter. And Philip says something similar to Andrew. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. And he says, it's Jesus, 
Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In other words, we have found the one that God has promised, had promised would come in our scriptures, in the Hebrew Bible. Now, initially, Nathaniel is skeptical. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, maybe Bethsaida and Nazareth had a rival high school football team or something. I don't know what the dynamics were culturally back then, but Nathaniel is unconvinced by Philip's testimony. The Messiah is from Nazareth? But then Nathaniel meets Jesus, and Jesus gives him just a little flex, a little demonstration of his divine insight. Once Nathaniel sees that Jesus saw him and knew him even before they had even met, he believes and makes this sweeping confession, which maybe was even truer than he knew. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, this is a little insight into who people were expecting the Messiah to be. And our passage here ends by Jesus basically saying, just wait. Just you wait. You think that was impressive? You will see greater things than that. And then, in a little bit of a cryptic passage at the end here, Jesus refers to a, a passage from Genesis chapter 28 in the Old Testament where Jacob, who also had received a name change to Israel, had a vision where he saw heaven open and he saw God. And that really was the turning point in his life, in his, in his faith, where he becomes known as Israel and becomes the patriarch of the 12 tribes of Israel. Here, Jesus says that Nathanael will have a similar experience, except that someone called the son of man will take the place of Jacob or Israel. And I cannot today imagine a more provocative and compelling promise of Jesus to these few new disciples. If you know your Bible, this is explosive stuff. Because Jesus is saying, if you follow me, if you follow me, you will be part of a new work of God, including a new covenant, a new people, including a new Israel. You'll see heaven open and you'll see God in a new way here and now, just as Jacob had in a vision. And what an invitation. I mean, what an opportunity. It's not just for one man, it's for all people. Because if Jesus is who John the Baptist claimed he was, and if Jesus is who Andrew and Philip came to believe him to be, and if Jesus is who Nathaniel confessed him to be, then God only knows what will happen in their journey of following Jesus. But this is all the beginning of John's gospel. What does this mean for us today? How do we as Christians apply this to our lives today? Well, I'd like to close with two thoughts for you. Um, next week, we'll start chapter two, finally. <laughs> it's taken us almost a month to get there, but we will see the first of seven signs that Jesus is in fact this Messiah that these men thought that he was in his miracle of turning water into wine at this wedding. 
But here, at the end of chapter 1, in this kind of extended introduction into the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, the Apostle John wants us to know first that everything that follows must be seen through the lens of discipleship. Everything that is about to come, the whole next year, in other words, of our preaching ministry, is all about discipleship. Ultimately, this is an invitation for us not just to meet Jesus or not just to start believing true things about him, although those those two things are very important and they're good things, but it's an invitation, an opportunity for us to become disciples too, to that he would be our rabbi, that Jesus would be our teacher, our Lord, our master, and that we would become his students. This is an opportunity. This is, this is an opportunity to call all people to learn from Jesus a new spiritual life in relationship to him, to be with him. Even if we have questions and doubts, like Nathaniel, we must bring those questions and those doubts to Jesus because if he truly is who he claimed to be, he'll hold up under the weight of our questions and doubts. And if he's not who he claims to be, better we find out sooner than later because none of this matters then. But how do we do this? How do we start to follow Jesus? Or if we're Christians already, how does a friend or perhaps a loved one of ours become a disciple of Jesus? Well, the second thing that John describes in this passage is still the way that men and women become disciples of Jesus today. What we might call the start of the journey of following Jesus. The journey of faith often starts when someone says, Come and see. Now, I've met someone named Jesus. I've met someone that I think might be the Savior and the Lord of all. I've heard one who seems to know things and do things that only God could know and do. Come and see. Would you come and see him? Would you come and meet him? Would you come and just consider who he is? If you have doubts, that's okay. Come and see. If you have questions, if you have concerns, if you're confused, that's okay, come and see. If you're not sure if he's like gonna be okay with you, that's okay, come and see. This is the invitation. Now, for you parents, it might be bringing your kids to church. Come and see. It might be inviting a friend to read the Bible with you. Come and see. It might be taking a risk and inviting a neighbor or a coworker to come and see what Jesus is all about. But this is the most common start to becoming a follower of Jesus. I'm sure that this might seem risky to you. It is. But it's worth the risk. Because when people truly see Jesus for who he is, they'll realize that Jesus knows them and sees them as he knows and saw Peter. They'll come to understand that Jesus knows them as he knew Nathaniel. If they heed the call of Jesus and start to follow him, they'll see that he gives them a new way and a new character, a new destiny. 
they'll see heaven open and they will see God do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And they'll see that Jesus brings such a disruptive change in life in the best possible way that they might as well have a new name too. This is what finding life in Jesus' name is all about. So today, are you ready to come and see? Will you accept an invitation to follow? Will you keep learning and keep following as a disciple of Jesus? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your care for us. Thank you for your steadfast love for us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus into this world after us to finally repair the broken relationship that we have with you as a result of our sin. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would lead us over the course of this next year. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be humble and open in our willingness to follow. That we would follow you, Lord, not really even knowing where you will lead us, but trusting you that you are good and you will not lead us astray, but you will lead us and guide us for your glory and for our benefit because you love us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us the power and the faith to follow. Lord, I pray that you would give us a joyful vision even if we have questions, doubts, and fears in following, but that you would give us a joyful vision for what you might do if we take a risk and follow you. At the end of the day, Lord, I pray that you would be greatly glorified in and through our lives as we take one step after another in learning the way of your son. It's in his name that we pray, amen.